nothing like some baseball conversation in the middle of winter, huh, guys? Never ending glory. That's right. Never ending glory baseball podcast. Matt Monner along with Sean Z, Nick Schillig, Luke Conley. Boys, what's going on on this Sunday night? Just got that itch. We're in the new year, fellas. And uh, you know what? Gear up for the two, 2017 season. Lick our wounds still from the 16 ending. But uh, I'm feeling the tribe already in January. Eddie Encarnacion makes everything just a little bit better this time of year. No doubt yeah, about it. I'm actually trying to find like eight buddies or something to go to get in on more season tickets. So right now i got ten games, so hoping uh, some other people set up to the plate here so I can get about 20 for next year. Ooh, man, I tell you what, if I wasn't planning a wedding in, in July and going to be tied up all summer with that, I would be very interested in doubling up on that and going on. You know, double, the double down. Yep, double down, baby. Double down on the tribe. Hey, listen, the front office is doubling down on this little window we got here, so it's about time the fans of Cleveland start to recognize and come down to Progressive Field and, and step up to the plate these next couple of years and fill the seats. The article from Pluto uh, over the weekend, we're up over 10,000 season ticket holders. They outshot even the front of office projections after the Encarcion signing. Um, you have to wonder if a little bit more momentum here over the next couple of weeks, if it gives us a chance to, to maybe kick the tires back on Raj Davis. In that same article, Pluto said that we were pretty much capped out. But if, if he continues to not have a market, uh, we could come back into play, which would be particularly interesting because I think he would be very helpful with his speed. Oh, I would love to bring him back. Well, let's start by just kind of throwing it back to the end of last year, guys. We have we did not do a podcast after the World Series. I think we were all kind of, one, obviously disappointed, dejected, and also exhausted. But it's been two months now. We've had a chance to kind of reflect and look back on things. And um, just let me start with you, Luke. Uh, just give me your kind of general thoughts on the playoff run and your kind of memories is we all went to some playoff games and, and uh, got to experience what that was like throughout the whole month of October. So just kind of your memories of what that was like. You know, obviously the run was great. It was fun to watch. Uh, I was at the only home win in the world series. I was at game one. So that was uh, a thrill to be a part of, but you know, and I felt the same way right after the, after game seven, I just, I wasn't upset. It was a great game. They played great. I mean, to, to have Rajay hit that two run homer and, and, uh, you know, make it interesting again after several times in that game, you kind of had a feeling it might have been over. Uh, you know, they just kept fighting and fighting. And, you know, I think people saw in that series what we saw as fans every night when we watched them play, just that grit and grind, and they never gave up. And, uh, you know, they, they made everything interesting. You could never count them out, and that's exactly what ended up happening in Game 7. Um, but, you know, obviously it sucks it got to that. You kind of had that feel that if it went there, it made you a little bit nervous. I really thought they kind of missed their missed their opportunity in game five, you know, with some opportunities with guys on base in a tight game. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you had, the whole time you're just a little worried. You know, the sleeping giant, their bats, would they wake up? Would they wake up? We had done such a good job. And, uh, you know, they did. You know, it's just the law of average. It's a good team. It's hard to hold a team like that down um, for long. But, uh, like I said, they fought and they battled. And I, I definitely wasn't disappointed or upset by any means because it was a fun ride yeah i agree with what you said about game five you know people kind of thought we weren't really expected to win game five with the pitching matchup that we had there but you know we had chances to steal that game and you got the sense that maybe that was our, our little chance there and and you know everyone will take the opinion well yeah we get the next two games at home so no big deal but you know when you got a chance to close the team out you got to do it and man I, I know sean and i were standing in center field there in game seven and I don't know about you, Sean, but I just got the feeling 
that some kind of magic was going to happen. And Rajay provided us with one of the top sports moments, I think, of my lifetime, even though it was in a losing effort. That was just an incredible moment to be able to be in the ballpark and, and feel what that was like when he hit that home run. You know, it happened so fast in some respects, and then at the same time, the ball's in the air and it's slow motion as you're seeing it, and we really did have the perfect view on it. I don't think the ball got higher than the railing uh, from the time it left the bat, but it hit the railing, and, and, you know, we got it tied up, and it was total pandemonium there for for a good minute and a half. Um, And and in some respects, if the rain doesn't come, I'd be fascinated just to kind of see how that plays out. Uh, but it did, and we gave up two runs in the in the top half of the eleventh, and just didn't have enough in the bottom half. It, that was it, it, it's probably as tough of a moment. And I remember '97 pretty vividly, and I remember the '95 team as well as some of the others that we've we've detailed and documented. But um, that was probably the most fun of a ride. But damn, if that doesn't hurt more than anything, still stings. You know, this moment speaking about it. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the rain, but when we got to bottom nine with one, two, three coming up, but even before the rain, I felt like this is it. I mean, we got a, a perfect opportunity with our best three hitters coming up. Chapman, Chapman had been Ch- used Ch- a Chapman, lot. And he, Chapman was he's even rattled. now come, come out and said that he was overused. And, and, he, and not to mention the overused, but he was rattled. I mean, he was definitely shaken by that home run. And uh, to, to not be able to even get a guy on base to get something going was disappointing. And then the rain came. But, um, you know, like you said, the fact that we were able to, to experience a couple of closeout games at home in a World Series was unbelievable. But the disappointment of having a chance to win a championship in your own stadium, which, you know, as incredible as it would be for the Browns to win a Super Bowl, that would never be an opportunity for them to have. The Cavs haven't had a chance to do that, uh, to win a championship in Cleveland. The Indians had two chances to do it and to not to, to A, get it, be as fortunate as we were to be there, and B, not see it happen, it hurts, man. Yeah, I, I mean, from show your vantage point watching it on TV, was it, was it as better as we've described it in person? I think being there would be a lot worse, and maybe just because, and don't take this the wrong way, that, that didn't hurt, but I think with the Cavs winning and the fact that we weren't the huge favorites, I mean, all of us on the spot knew what, um, the Indians were capable of, but you know when you think of ninety five, ninety seven, everyone said it was our year to win it, and this year, this year really wasn't. It was the National League was loaded, and everyone talked about Boston and Toronto and all this, but uh, you know outside of our pitching and once our injuries occurred, so uh, it, it hurt really bad. So, so I don't know if it's really the the fact that the the, the Cavs finally broke the streak that it, this it didn't hurt as bad as I thought it did. You know, I woke up the next day and it wasn't like the end of the yeah, world. Yeah, see, I, I wasn't there at all. I, I I like the Cavs and, you know, Cleveland through and through, but the Indians are my one. So yeah. it was bitter to walk out of that stadium and walk through all the people celebrating and cheering and hugging and that, you know, a, a bounce goes one way or the other or Fowler's homer doesn't get, you know, a foot further or than it does and it ends up in, in Raj's glove instead. Um it, it, there's just so many things from that game that, that if you rewatch it and, and can kind of play it back, if it just went one way or the other, I don't know. It's I, I, I don't think that'll ever, ever truly wear off unless, uh, unless we run it back and win something. Yeah. I think it's got a lot of 
Spurs Heat, um, what was that, 12 or 13, whenever that was. Yeah. I mean, if, if you look at my Twitter avatar, I think the NBA is a joke. So the Tribe is my number one. The fact that I wasn't there, uh, I can only imagine how painful it was to go through 11 innings up and down and you guys are probably all over the place and then having to walk through, and I'm sure there were thousands and thousands of Cubs fans there celebrating your face. So. Well, it was about 50-50, and honestly, the, the Cubs fans didn't even really bother me because, I mean, they have gone through the same crap that we have as fans, and they're, by all accounts, pretty loyal, so I, I don't really fault them, or they didn't really get on my nerves, but it was like, it would have been nice if it wasn't like a neutral game for the most part, but it seemed like it was. Yeah, see, I didn't. Ha- I'm, I'm with you. I didn't have a problem with Cubs fans, and and as we're walking out, it's not like you know we're getting shit talked to us no, or whatever. Or whatever. It, it's just more of you know you got one fan base that's as downtrodden and sad and upset and depressed as possible, and then you have probably the highest level of euphoria that that you can probably have from from a fan in a visiting because all of those folks had went through their own roller coaster. And when Raj hit the home run, all of those people had the oh shit moments that Cleveland fans have had. So there was a lot of odd sympathizing with one another, almost even amongst each other. I know we had kind of looks and and kind of, you know, laughs back and forth with some folks just about how crazy it was. Um, So it's one of those that you'll literally never, ever forget. And and the other weird thing is, as we're leaving the stadium, it's only Indians fans leaving the stadium. So it's just us and all the Cubs fans stayed, of course, and watched the celebration. So they're all walking. Well, then you had the Cubs fans trying to buy tickets on the way out. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, we we had people in our group that were selling tickets to Cubs fans before the game had even started. Right, Sean? How did that How did that go? I forget how No, that we were in the stadium yeah. buy our tickets so they could go sit in seats. Right. That's what the, that's what uh, a few of them had done, and I mean we were selling for a hundred bucks, and we're already in the stadium in our spot. So, what's it to us? Yeah, yeah. Just now, like, I didn't do it because I was hoping to be able to frame my ticket and you know have a World Series picture next to it with us celebrating. But uh, yeah, you know, not I, this year. I mean, I don't know. You you got I, the, the tribe's my number one too, but this this probably hurts. Baseball just seems to be – it's easier for me to get more attached to the Indians because, I don't know, two of you guys on this pod, Luke and Shill, you guys are basketball coaches like me. It just seems like when you watch a team every day like we do and we have such likable guys on our team, it's just easier to get attached to them. So it's kind of like when we go through as coaches, as basketball coaches, like you're with the same group of guys every day for five, six months, and then when it's over, it really hurts. It just kind of – I felt a lot of similarities there. To when like you get beat in the tournament or something, do you agree with that, Luke? A little bit. Oh yeah, there's no question. I mean, and plus you know, it's a long year. It is, you know, it's every day. Like you never really get a chance to get away from it. And like you said, every night, seven o'clock, seven thirty, you know, you're eating dinner or whatever, and you throw on the TV, and that's what you turn on. You know, that like you said, they're in your living room, 162 times. Uh, you know, throughout the summer and, and the spring and, and part of the fall. So yeah, there's no question. You definitely get that. That connection. Plus, I don't know. We're season ticket holders. I go up there fifteen, you know, with our ten games. I go up those ten times plus another five to six times. You know, you're up there. You're more immersed in the environment. Um, whereas, you know, like cast tickets are impossible to get. And and if you do want to go, you have to pay an arm and a leg. And there's only so many of those you can even you know get tickets to anyway. So there's just a lot more. The, the, the atmosphere is a lot more accessible too, which I think 
kind of makes you feel like you're more part of it just because you're there a lot. Well, I think how the team plays too helps. I mean, everything possible was kind of stacked against them throughout the season and particularly heading into the playoffs. We made this run with Corey Kluber and Josh Tomlin and Trevor Bauer, kind of, not really. I mean, we did it with with essentially two starting pitchers. We had a bullpen day for for basically a World Series game. It, it's it's just incredible what they well, were able to get to. See, you, you were talking about being frustrated, like you know, being upset and having that taste in your mouth. See, for me, it was more of a frustration because. You had to sit here and watch, and, and, and obviously they needed two or three more starting pitchers. And the problem is, that's their strength. That's what they had, and it just got taken away from with all those late season injuries. And you just look back at the scenario: you put Carrasco and/or Salazar in that rotation, and I, I don't know. I'm not saying we win it, but I, it, you know, we, we just we weren't we didn't have our full squad. And, and then you have to go in there and fight and. You know, our obvious weakness going in was actually our strength all year. It just that's the part that that frustrates me more than anything. Yeah, I, I, I'll go out and say it. Carlos Carrasco is on the playoff roster, um, and it, uh, pitching in the World Series, we're World Series champions. I just Kluber doesn't have to get just taxed like he did, or bullpen doesn't have to get taxed, and all Carlos has to do is get one game, and it, it's a wrap. I just. That's the thing that's frustrating is we got so close, but baseball doesn't work the, the normal way of, okay, like basketball and some of these others, like we add a piece, now we'll be right back. Right. It's so random, you don't know if you'll ever be back, and that 95 team is a perfect example of it. That, that team's too talented from what we watched growing up and never won a thing. And even the 97 team that made it, it was the 95-96 team that had been broken up considerably. Yeah, and that the 97 team only won like 87 games in regular season or something. They they right. were just lucky they played in a crappy division to even get in. But, you know, it's, like you said, when the Cavs lost to the Warriors two years ago, it was like, well, okay, they'll be back. I mean, everybody knew that. You just don't know that with the Indians. I mean, you just there's no guarantees. Even as, and we'll talk about this here in a second, the Indians are heavily favored now to win the Central this year, but... And like you said, in baseball, there's nothing given or guaranteed. You still got to. It's go a five out. game series, yeah. so I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll cover into the divisions and things like that. But I mean, I think we all can agree. You just you don't know. The one saving grace is God had had a lot of chips against us this past year. If we just get half of those chips removed and we have what we've got in front of us right now, there's a lot of reason for optimism. Yeah, on the same token. Cavs Warriors, they're about even money to play in the finals again. And even after this Encarnacion pickup, I think the Tribe are seven to one to win it all, and that's being heavily favored in the Central to get off. So, you know, it's pretty much crapshoot when you get when you get down to it. Well, and they really they have to win their division because if they sneak in as a wild card, they could have one off night and not even get an opportunity. You know, I mean that four five playing game now. I mean, obviously, I think of the three divisions, I mean, I'd, I'd rather be in ours. I think it's probably the weaker of the three. But, you know, if someone has a great year and the Indians still play well and they end up being that fourth or fifth team, you know, they still have to win a one-game playoff to even have the opportunity to, to play in the World Series, which kind of sucks, too, because anything can happen in one game. Well, we'll get to that. I don't I don't see who's winning that division otherwise, but I, I agree completely with you, Luke. And actually, I think that's 
the challenge that faces the AL East. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think the baseball playoff format is great, and the baseball postseason is the best of of all the sports. Um, but, yeah, if the Indians don't win the Central this year, it's probably because either they were ravaged with injuries or just completely crapped the bed and played awful all year, and, and some guys really disappointed. Because about three weeks ago, we or maybe two weeks, we got word that the Indians had indeed – made a run at Edwin Encarnacion, and ended up signing him. So let's talk about this moving forward now, gentlemen. And we all kind of agreed when the rumors started coming out maybe four or five weeks ago that they were interested, that it was all just kind of smoke and mirrors, and the Indians really didn't have the financial wherewithal to actually make this happen. But as the market basically disappeared for Encarnacion, the Indians were able to kind of go out and make a play, and he kind of fell in their lap three years, $60 million, with an option for a fourth. Money-wise, per year, about the same as what he initially was offered with Toronto. I think he was offered four for 80, turned it down. And um, here he is in Cleveland, a guy that all of us probably made fun of, hated for a good week and a half in October as we faced the Blue Jays in the playoffs. I know Hammy was ripping him up and down during about all five of those playoff games for uh, yelling at the umps and whatever. But now he's on our team, and I think we're all in agreement that we couldn't be happier. He's the guy that is going to make this lineup a little bit more, even more scary than it was last year. Uh, Napoli had a great year for us, but Encarnacion flat out is just a better offensive player than Mike Napoli. So it's an upgrade for us. Getting Brantley back should be an upgrade for us as long as he's healthy. So, Luke, your initial thoughts on the Encarnacion signing? How shocked were you and, and your expectations for this lineup going forward? I, I, I was obviously surprised, just like anybody else was, but I was thrilled. And I'll tell you why. I know we want everyone loved Napoli. They wanted to bring him back. And the thing about Napoli, though, is they were going to have to pay him for a career year he just had it at his age. And, you know, to give the guy 12, 13, 14, 15 million, whatever it was going to be for a year, he's probably never going to duplicate. It just didn't it didn't sit well with me. And, and obviously, you got a guy like Encarnacion, who's played over 140 games for the last six years. He's hit 34-plus home runs the last five seasons. He's hit over 260 the last five seasons. And this is the thing that I love the most about it. He's not a big strikeout guy for a power hitter. And in the four spot now, you get get runners on, you know, guys on third um, with less than two outs. Napoli struck out nearly 200 times last year, and, and Encarnacion just doesn't do that. He makes contact, and I think he's a lock, and as long as he stays healthy for 30, 35 home runs and 100 RBIs over the next couple years. He's not over the hill yet. He's what thir- is, He's going to be entering his, his age 34 season. Um, you know, He's going to get a chance to get off his legs a little bit. He'll play some DH. I, I love the signing. Honestly, I like the contract, $20 million a year. Uh, for what some of these other guys were going for. I know he's a little bit older. We obviously don't have the long-term investment. We have three years, and if we want him for a fourth, we got him. And uh, I, it was, it, I thought it was great, I, I, I mean, especially compared to what I think Napoli's going to go for, to pay the extra $5, 6000000 for a guy that has proven it over the last five years and has been as consistent as Encarnacion has been, I think was huge. And it's a gigantic upgrade to that lineup, some stability there uh, at the four spot for us. Well, let's talk the economics. So, so breaking down how this actually took place, they look at it this year. They had a little bit of a bump from playoff revenue. They got a, 
a now a minority owner that's kicked in some money. So this year, I think it was it was fully fundable. The following year, you get Santana coming off the books at twelve million. You get Santana spot in the lineup and first base slash DH. At, and he's uh, 13, 14 million, I believe. And you got the Chris Johnson contract finally coming off the books at the end of this year. So you've got that. You essentially have 2018 already covered. So really, the deal came down to the third year. Were we willing to make that, you know, additional 20 million? Now there is a, a an additional year for for if we if the Indians would want it, but they also have a five million dollar buyout. I'm confident this is really a two-year play because what you have is, is the bullpen's getting blown up in two years. Not blown up, but they're just losing Miller, Allen, Shaw's at the end of next year. But you've got some real challenges. Brantley, I think, is is up in 18 as well. So you got a two-year window here. And you know you're going to have all this money moving off the books. If that third year comes around, you've got either an option. If it goes south, you're going to be able to move that contract. You're going to be able to move in Carcione to any team in the AL, possibly even a, a team in the NL, um, you know, that, that for the right price at that first base position. So economically, it made a lot of sense once they started to crunch the numbers and they realized that this is a two-year window. We've got Andrew Miller. We've got the bullpen that we have, Cody Allen. you got the starting pitching. And we hopefully, if you get Michael Brantley back, you now have as lethal of a one through five, one through six as any team in the American League, maybe Sands, Boston, um, and the Texas team. But compared from a pitching standpoint, certainly better than Texas. And how we match up against Boston, obviously, we we saw this postseason. Yeah, can, can we all agree? I, I think the, um, they're not going to touch the top three in the lineup, and then we're just going to go Edwin Brantley, J Ram. Four, five, six. Is that what you guys are thinking? I really don't know what they're going to do. There's a lot of different ways they can go. To be honest with you, I mean, you could. I, have... I like Tito going flexible. I, I, I like him kind of moving it around. And, and again, if Rajay somehow can come into play, things I, I like flipping it around and constantly giving different looks. I think it's a pain in the ass for teams to scout against too. Yeah, I mean, you could see them doing the same. If Rajay comes back, you could see him leading off against lefties, Santana against righties. I could see them moving things around, having even Lindor lead off, Kipnis hitting second, Brantley third, um, and then Encarnacion and Santana. You get a, a patient hitter who's not going to expand the strike zone following Encarnacion, which makes it interesting if you put Santana there. And you're looking at a guy like Jose Ramirez coming off the year that he had hitting sixth, which is pretty damn nice. Yeah, see, I, I kind of – my brother and I was talking about it. I'm not so sure Jose doesn't sit in at the five and Michael Brantley doesn't sit in at the sixth spot. There's some kind of rumblings of, of discomfort with um, his continued shoulder rehab. And he's only – I want Michael Brantley playing 100 games. He didn't even need to play until June as far as I'm concerned. Like They need to be as, as slow and methodical with him as possible this year. Well, the the one problem you're going to have is if if he doesn't play till June and they don't happen to get Rajay back, their outfield depth turns turns out to be pretty thin, um, and especially if we don't really know what Naquin is, uh, you know, the Chisinau is is what he is. I, I don't know. It just it makes me a little bit nervous if he's not right and them being as strapped as they are financially, they may be hurting in the outfield, um, especially if Zimmer isn't ready uh, to come up right away because right now he's 
he's the next guy. I mean, they they don't have the money uh, to sign him. Yandy Diaz is the next guy. I've been pimping him on on our on our group chat for about eight months now. I'm telling you that that's the guy that Abraham Almonte is going to play a ton of games early on. Now, <laughs> good or bad, he's going to get a lot of innings. Um, I do think we're going to have a little signing here or there. I just I don't think we can afford five to six million for Rajay unless some things kind of continue to evolve. But I, I see your concern, Luke. I just I think they're going to be able to piecemeal it a little bit here. And I'm not at all opposed to a Greg Allen or Yandy Diaz and giving them a chance come come May. Diaz goes to third and J-Ram goes to the outfield. Uh, Diaz has been playing center field, um, started in the uh, spring training. So he's got total J- Jose Ramirez-type flexibility here. Like that, That's how they've groomed him over the past six months, and he's been playing that in, um, in the uh, Dominican leagues. So we, we no. pretty much all agree it's going to be a Brandon Geyer, Chisholm platoon again in right. Okay, so you're looking at probably Nick when starting the year in center. And, you know, hopefully he's made some adjustments to what the pitchers have adjusted to him towards the end of last year, which is he can't hit a ball above his letters. And then if Brantley's not ready, how soon are we calling one of these guys up, you guys think? It could be on opening day roster. My guess is they probably have one of these these Aaron Cunningham stiffs on the opening day roster so that they, they you know, get it to like May 14th and they don't trigger service time. For, for any one of the three, and I say the three being Greg Allen, Yandy Diaz, and, and, and Zimmer. I think they're going to be very, very cautious with Zimmer. My biggest concern with Naquin, Naquin in center field is his defense yeah. was atrocious the end, towards the back part of the season. If he goes and hits 220 for a month, we can live with that. We can't live with him hitting 220 and getting the breaks and giving up the runs that he was giving up and where he was playing and what he was doing defensively. The Indians did, yeah. did, by the way, sign Chris Colabello to a minor league deal. Um, who had a decent 2015 for Toronto, basically didn't play in the major leagues in 2016, and he was terrible in the minors. Luke, any chance he contributes? Uh, not unless he takes steroids again, because that's why he didn't <laughs> play last year. So, uh, no, I, I, I think he's a, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, has a long history of being a quad A guy. Hit the crap out of the ball in Triple A uh, coming up, and then just never really did anything. He had one nice. He had a nice year with Toronto, obviously, and he had a nice stint with Minnesota a couple years back, um, the first month, month and a half of the season. Um, but, you know, he just he tailed off. I, I I don't think so. I don't really have much hope for it. I mean, I know the Indians have been somewhat successful kind of signing those guys, and they kind of outperform what we originally thought they might do, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't see it there. I think they're looking – they'd be looking at, at these guys as like one-month rentals, and – if, you know, it's like a lease. You'll pick it up if uh, if, it, if it's still producing or it's still dependable. And I, if I'm him, I'd probably go ahead and juice. Like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> uh, leading into spring training, you, you get a te- you get tested hey. right after you get tested. Go ahead and get on a cycle and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, this is his now, last shot to make some money. I mean, why not? That, that, that's my whole thing. Is you know, otherwise he's done. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Who else is going to need Chris Colabello? So, Chris, do it. Get that needle. I did want to touch on just a couple other smaller transactions that the Indians made that Sean might be able to shed some light on or maybe Luke. Uh, the Indians picked up Hobie Milner in the Rule 5 draft. He's a sidearm left-handed relief pitcher. 
and we did get Nick Goody, a reliever from the Yankees, for a player to be named. Anything that you like or dislike with those moves, Sean, or are they irrelevant? No, I think the lefty, um, it, it, that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, I think they, they had picked up another one, but I don't know with the Goody if they actually had to drop him. Um, I, I think it'll be something to watch. We do need that second left-hander because, particularly in the regular season, I want Tito to take a very methodical approach to the first three months of the season because of how long we played into this year and how he stretched guys and really used them. It's almost like the NBA. I'd rather have my minutes real low for my superstars the first three months, and then you start to ramp them up come mid-June and, and kind of get things pointed in the right direction. That said, if you're not winning games in April and May, and we've sat there and complained about this to a T, you know, you do hit the pan panic button a ton and maybe you overmanage certain things and you overuse certain players so it'll be curious to see what Tito does but I, I definitely think a, a second left-hander whether that's Crockett or these couple guys that they picked up in, in rule five or, or you know via waivers be interested to see if one of them can stick um, and give us some some innings and, and a dependable left-hand arm basically just don't be Nick Hagedon <laughs> don't walk people that's my number one thing Get lefties out if you're a left-hander. Throw strikes. It's not hard. I'm also intrigued what they do these next couple of years with the bullpen because, as Sean said with his two-year window with the bullpen and Brantley, but we ha- we have a larger window if we can you know, make some moves, maybe find some lightning in the bottle with some bullpen arms because the rest of our roster is pretty much your, um, 2020. I could go through the entire list and bore everybody, but if they figure out a bullpen, all we really lose is – the bullpen and Brantley, and we still have the entire starting five and, and most of our core players offensively. Well, I agree. The other- uh, but you've got to hit on a young arm, essentially, because you've got to hit on, through your system, one or two young arms that pop. And yeah, like if Cody you can Allen. do that, that, that's really what, I mean, we, that's where we are with Cody Allen. I mean, that guy's been fantastic. But, you know, he basically came up right through the ranks and just blew up within our team uh constraints not not us having to like move things around to get a guy added to our roster well and the other thing that's interesting about bullpen arms and is sometimes they're just so random like they come out of nowhere um and you get guys that are really dominant uh for a year or two that you just didn't see coming i mean you think back to you know uh with rafael perez and Betancourt. i was just gonna say that yeah and and those guys and, and even the guys that and that's what's been interesting not to go too far off topic but Looking at all these big signings of all the, of the closer, the Kenley Jansen with what he got and, and Aroldis Chapman. Remember a couple of years ago, David Robertson was a big-time signing for the White Sox. They're trying to pawn him off in any deal they possibly can because he's just fallen off a cliff. I mean, look at the Indians with Vinny Pistano. It was the same way. The guy was a top-five reliever, and now he you know, he can't even make one of the worst bullpens in the majors and, and the Angels. It's That's the one thing. I I don't disagree with you, and I think now more than ever, especially after this season, you saw the importance of a bullpen, especially come October. But I just think a lot of times those guys, you know, you end up getting a guy that right now we think is going to be a starter. He ends up only being a two-pitch guy and can't, you know, turn the lineup over one or two or three times. He becomes a bullpen guy, and he's he's elite. So I I, I think it's hard to forecast the bullpen, um, and you never know what's going to happen and what you're going to have go through there. I mean, they signed a bunch of – really good starting pitching the last couple of years in the draft, one or two of those guys don't pan out as starters, then you may have yourself an elite reliever. I mean, that's what Andrew Miller was. Andrew Miller was an elite starting pitching prospect coming out of North Carolina, 
could not start in the majors, and now he's one of the most dominating relievers in the in the pros. And that's the same thing with Chapman. Chapman was supposed to be a starter when he came over from Cuba, and you know he went to the bullpen and was and was awesome. And they never took him out of it. So I do think it is hard to forecast. But I mean, obviously, with how important the bullpen was to our run this year, it's definitely something to to think about and, and to be a little bit concerned about. No, I, I agree completely. Bullpens typically are random. Now it just it kind of comes into can you catch you maybe lightning in a bottle? To Shell's point. Just to add to that, we we can go on numerous lists. We can add Wade Davis as a field starter, who's an unbelievable bullpen arm. Zach Britton, who was arguably had one of the best bullpen years in the, in the history of baseball last year. Uh, the fact that he wasn't top three in Cy Young, you know, we'll say, probably say that for another pod, but. That's why I'm so intrigued with these next two years. If we can find a couple arms here and there and really extend that window to 2020 when we have our whole starting rotation and some of, some of these core offensive guys still listen, signed. Listen, Zach Britton wasn't that good. He wasn't even good enough to be used in the wild card game, okay? <laughs> hey, Buck, Buck has since walked that back and realized uh, maybe some of the, the errors of his ways, particularly when he watched Tito put on an absolute clinic all postseason. <laughs> Hey, guys, he trusted you bought a Jimenez. Do we blame him? I mean, come on. <laughs> That's Who wouldn't? true. Who That's wouldn't? true. <laughs> it's all about the you, baby. Right. All right, let's let's quickly touch on some uh, some of the bigger off-season transactions around the league. And obviously the biggest one is probably a trade that was made between the White Sox and the Red Sox, sending Chris Sale to Boston. Boston gives up the probably the consensus top prospect in all of baseball and Jan Moncada. Luke, your thoughts? I think we kind of knew the White Sox were shopping sale, but they got quite a haul in return, did they not? Yeah, they did. And honestly, in terms of the future of our division there, Chicago got a lot better uh, between that trade and the Adam Eaton deal. They pulled some really nice prospects, um, a couple nice pitchers from Washington in the Adam Eaton trade, and they pulled Makata and then Michael, I think it's Kopech or Kopech, uh, who's, a, who's a flamethrower. Um who's another really good good young arm. But uh, the trade for Boston obviously makes him better. But I will say it's really interesting. If in that park where right-handed hitting is has such an advantage because of that short wall and left, their rotation is really left-handed heavy with with Price and now Sale. Uh, then you have uh, Pomerantz, if he's going to be in the rotation, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, who was really good for them at the end of the year. You know, they got rid of Buckholt, so he's kind of their five guy now. And then Porcello, obviously. So, I mean, obviously, I don't think it's going to make him a, a four ERA guy, but you kind of saw the, you know, what it did to David Price last year a little bit. And, his, and he struggled at home and, and his ERA, and, and, and he got hit a little bit more. So I will think that I do think that's interesting, and it would be, be interesting to see how that all works out, especially with, like I said, how left-handed heavy their rotation is now. But uh, I thought Chicago got a really nice deal out of it. Obviously, you can't really argue it from Boston's side because they got one of the top starting pitchers in the majors. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely uh, definitely a big-time trade with a lot of pieces moving back and forth between the two teams. Yeah, I love what Chicago did. I, if I'm them, I wouldn't move Quintana. I would just kind of play it out through this year, maybe see what next offseason looks like and, and see how – how quickly some of their guys that they traded for are, are reload type players. They're not, you know, a year and a half away. They're knocking on the door come May or June. So I think for the White Sox, it made a lot, a lot of sense. What I'll just say is if you want to book game one in Boston, Cleveland, Boston, that series, all the both staffs like fully rested or amply rested to be able to line up, I'll, I'll, 
go against that pitching staff versus what we've got. I'm completely comfortable with it. I know they got a lot better. Um, their lineup is, is still strong. That said, once we made the, the Edwin move, I feel comfortable that we've got enough bullets in the gun. Well, man, it was it, it was like, you know, we knew that, okay, they made the deal with Sale. And then in the back of your mind, you're thinking, God, they're still probably going to get Edwin. And how scary would they be if they get Sale and Encarnacion? And the whole thing just kind of got flipped when he ends up on our team. It's like, all right, well, now now instead of us being underdogs again, we're right with these guys. Hey, well, don't don't undersell Mitch Moreland. I mean, that's a big signing. Oh, yeah, yeah. But seriously, going back to the White Sox, though, real quick, since they're in our division, Schilling, they got Lucas Giolito in the Eaton deal. Any chance that he could be what everybody thought he was going to be? He didn't really pan out when he came up to the majors with the, the Nationals this year. He kind of struggled. But, I mean, are they still counting on him to be a dominant starter? I think he's in the rotation game one. I mean, um, we'll, we'll probably get into this as the next season goes on with Luke and I talking about our our fantasy baseball teams, but I have him in two dynasty leagues. So this, this trade kind of scares me in the, with the fact that it was Adam Eaton for arguably the number one throwing prospect in baseball. If you go back probably six, seven months. Now when he came up, he only really threw three, four innings at a time. Uh, it reminds me a lot of how uh, the Dodgers used uh, his name to escape me. The, the young lefty they got Luke. Can you help me out there? Aurelius. Yeah. Arias. Julio Arias. Yes, so it really reminds me of his first couple starts where he only went three, four innings. They really kind of eased him into it, and then by the postseason he looked pretty good. But I, he was he was the number one prospect coming into this, so I was, I was a little shocked of what the White Sox got in return for Adam Eaton, who I mean, he's Adam Eaton. He's not great. He's you know he's he's solid. I put him I, I put him a little little below a Dexter Fowler, so. Uh, yeah, but when you look at the Saber metrics, his war is fantastic. I mean, and That's everything me that, that I've read from Washington is they had soured on Goliato so badly that it was widely known across the market you could get him fairly easily. So much that they actually had to put in additional things to get Adam Eaton. So the, I, I think there, there there could be a little bit of the luster, significant amount of it is has worn off of uh, Lucas G. What did you just call him, Gugliotto? That was like a Mad Dog moment for you there. You're really I know, you're, I, you're working I, hard there. I, 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 pretty, <laughs> pretty soon we're going to be going to Tony Orlando's before the Tribe games. You know, I'm, I actually I've got to make another correction. We were talking about the Tribe, um, you know, outfield next year. And Eric Gonzalez can play outfield, and I think he's someone that's on the 25-man roster for absolute certainty. So he, he would be another one right-handed bat but has the ability to play multiple positions. Um, I, I think he's someone that's that's going to be in play, particularly if Michael Brantley's out for, for any you know early part of the season. I know they're not the same, but when I hear Eric Gonzalez, I just hear Michael Martinez. Uh, I was just going to say, let's just sign Michael Martinez. He can play wherever. He can just fill in the spots. We're good. He's better than Michael Martinez. Michael Martinez is the worst statistical batter to ever come um, up to the plate in a World (laughs) Series game, I believe. Oh, lucky us he made the last out. Awesome. To kind of add to Sean's point, it is interesting that they were just trying to get rid of him. Uh, They they tried to move him in in when they had the trade talks with Pittsburgh with McCutcheon. For a guy with such little major league exposure uh, to be to them to just sour on that quickly, it's, it's just a little fishy. You wonder if they know something 
um, uh, more than, you know, obviously what met the public side. But it, it'll be interesting to see if he pans out. Obviously, moving to the American League doesn't help him out. Um, he goes from, from a pretty nice pitcher's park uh, to, to, you know, a hitter-friendly ballpark there in Chicago. So it'll be interesting. But it was very, like Sean said, to have to add other pieces into that trade for Adam Eaton or Shill, whichever one of you said it. It was surprising because the other guy they got was Renato Lopez, who's not who's a, 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 an elite pitching prospect too. Now he's a guy that probably projects as a bullpen guy because he's he's more of a two pitch guy at the current time. But uh, you know he came up and he had like a ten strikeout game uh, late in the season when he filled in uh, in the back end of their rotation. So they definitely have you know they both those guys definitely have uh, really high upside. And then to go with the guy they got from Boston. Um, the pitcher, I mean, they definitely could have a nice rotation, like you said, within the next two years because they're not guys that need to be in the minors for three, four years to develop. It kind of reminded me, and I know it was a three-team trade, of just how quickly the Diamondbacks kind of gave away Trevor Bauer when, when you look back at that trade of just how quickly they kind of gave up on their top pitching prospect and trade him away for, you know, very little. Well, you well and that organization's being run so incredibly well. Through the past three years, thanks to Tony Larusa and, and Dave Stewart, who just decided to just you know trade Swanson and others just on a whim. So let's talk about some of these other signings here, really quick. One of you guys mentioned Dexter Fowler. He goes from the Cubs to the Cardinals. He gets eighty-two and a half million dollars over five years. Ian Desmond goes from the Rangers to the Rockies, five years for seventy million. Jonas Cespedes resigns with the Mets, four years for a hundred and ten million. When you look at numbers like that and you think of what we got Encarnacion for, it's just a freaking steal. I mean, this is unbelievable money these guys are getting. Baffling. It really is baffling. And, and the Rangers are actually going to get Napoli pretty cheap probably. And wherever Joey Bats ends up, he's actually going to go at a, at a below market figure probably somewhere just because the market's pretty much capped at this point. Well, and if he doesn't go back to Toronto, they really take a huge hit. Because to lose Batista and Encarnacion, that lineup is no longer what it was. And their starting pitching was really good last year, but there's not a lot of big names in that rotation. So you kind of wonder uh, if they'll be able to repeat what they did last year. But that's a team that really projects a lot differently than what we may have saw for them going into last season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, what they should be in, and actually it's fitting they've got Shapiro and, and some of the folks uh, running the organization, they should be bargain hunting right now. And in a way, they should be kicking the tires on Napoli. They should be kicking the tires on some of these guys that, that are maybe, you know, one-year type guys that either you can parlay and trade or you can get something out of and, and still compete. Because I do think they're shifting more into a stronger starting pitching team with some of the guys, Sanchez, hopefully they stretch him more this year um, and, and, you know, kind of positions their, their franchise that way going forward. But they're in a little bit of limbo now, and as the Baltimore Orioles will tell you, that's not a fun place to be in, particularly in the AL East when the Yankees are, are going to be charging hard over the next year or two. What about what the Astros did, guys, bringing in Carlos Beltran and uh, a couple other guys? Luke, your thoughts on what they've done? Well, it's, it's interesting. They have a log jam. Uh, in their lineup now. I don't really know where Evan Gaddis fits in. I know he's a guy that they're possibly maybe looking to move, but they bring in some nice left-handed hitting with Brian McCann and uh, Josh Reddick and Beltran. I do think it's interesting with their outfield now uh, and their DH situation, kind of where they're going to be able to play Beltran because he's not at the point where he can play the outfield 160 times 
uh, during the regular season. But it is a little curious, too, that that ballpark really fits the right-handed hitting. They have that short left-handed porch, um, and they or that left-field porch, and they they bring in some left-handed power bats. But their lineup's really good. But, Sean, I know you want to touch on their, their pitching rotation isn't anything to, to look twice at, that's for sure. I, I just I think the formula has been tried and true and pretty well tested. I don't think they have enough from an arm. Why they're not in on Quintana is is kind of puzzling a little bit, uh, or marquee arm. Maybe they're just going to wait until June or July and maybe try and get it a little bit cheaper. It, that could be their thought process. i also not sure that I trust their bullpen either. So um, the Astros, I think, have enough to compete with the Rangers. I just – I don't know that either of those teams really have what it takes when it counts um, with their pitching staff and then their bullpen subsequently thereafter. Well, the nice thing with those signings, their lineup is really difficult to match up against because their big bats last year were all right-handed guys, Correa and Altuve and uh, George Springer. Now they're able to sprinkle in some lefties in there. That kind of hurt them a little bit when they get late in games. Guys are bringing power right-handers, and they kind of mow through Springer and Correa, you know, two young guys, uh, and Springer strikes out a lot. Obviously, Altuve hit like 360, so he barely ever got out. Uh, but it does help their the, the balance of their lineup. Obviously, Lance McCullers needs to step up for them. Uh, hopefully, Ken Giles can be a staple at the back end of that bullpen. But you know, they lost Pat Neshek. They had Will Harris last year in their bullpen, who was really good. So it'll be interesting. But you're right, Sean. Quintana would be a really nice get for them. And they definitely have the pieces in their minor league system. Uh, to maybe go out and get a guy like that. And they need Keuchel to be what they thought he was going to be two years ago after the year he had, too. I mean, he was awful last year for a lot of the, a lot of the season. Yeah. He yeah was, did he get figured out? I mean, that's the thing that I would get, always get concerned with with some of these guys. And probably a year and a half ago, I was concerned with, with like, a Kluber. But will he adjust? And, and if he doesn't adjust, they're, they're probably not making the playoffs. It's a moot point. Um, but they because they, they need him. To, to at least be a one or a two, uh, because I'm not sure that they've got the horses there with, with McCullers and Fears. I, there's just not enough. Fires! Uh, no, yeah. call him Q. He sucks. Terrible. Yeah, McHugh, Keiko, Fires, um, they're, they're, they all can be so up and down. That's why I think... I, I'm a big Lance McCullers fan, along with his wife as well. But uh, <laughs> um, you're a fan of his McCullers. wife, or a, a fan of Lance McCullers, fan. just like his wife is. Dry your tongue, Sean. Go get Lance's clothes. <laughs> Hold up neatly, Luke. I don't know if you can elaborate anything, but I I, I do think they need a big year from. Um, going to mispronounce his name, much like we're going to have a Mad Dog moment here. It's, uh, Chris, uh, is it Davinsky? Yeah, Davinsky. I, I think him and McCullers are their best two pitchers, and then whatever they get from Keuchel, McHugh, Fires, and all those other guys uh, will just be bonus, I think. Yeah, Davinsky's definitely a guy. Hopefully he gets his opportunity to be in the back end of that of that rotation because he was really good uh, when he was up there in, in July and August. All right, so just wrapping up here, what do you guys see as kind of still the big – pieces to get moved or chips to fall here before spring training starts in about a month and a half. And we still have Quintana maybe being shopped around. Maybe the White Sox hang on to him. We know Napoli's probably headed back to Texas. Mark Trumbo's still out there. Nobody really knows where he's headed. What do you guys see as the next 
couple big moves to happen in the next six weeks before uh, pitchers and catchers report again. I, I think the it'll be interesting to see what happens with Brian Dozier. Uh, he's been in a bunch of trade talks. Um, he's been linked to the Cardinals. He's been linked to the Dodgers. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I know that they were really close with the Dodgers. I know they were going to get back Jose De Leon, who's a really, really good right-handed pitching prospect, like 13.9 Ks per nine. Really, really good stuff. Um, but I'm not sure if he'll get moved. That'll be interesting to see. Um, there's still fluttering of McCutcheon getting moved. Uh, I know he was rumored in a three-way deal with Quintana uh, and the Yankees, but uh, I, I'm not really sure if that will come to fruition. But I'll be curious to see, like you said, I think Trumbo is the one I'm cur- most curious about because if he doesn't go back to Baltimore, Baltimore, just like Toronto now, is taking a big hit there. They're going to lose Matt Wieters too. Um, he's most likely going to end up in Atlanta. So uh, I'll be curious to see uh, if Dozier ends up going anywhere and then if you know anything comes to – comes to light with McCutcheon if he ends up getting moved. Not, not that anyone cares, but since you just mentioned that, what are the Braves doing exactly? I mean, they 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 signed a couple of starting pitchers that combined for like 87 years of age, Bartolo Colon and R.A. Dickey, to decent money. I mean, aren't they supposed to be rebuilding? Well, the, the only variable to that is they're moving into a new stadium uh, this year, and I think they just wanted some – that they didn't want to go in there and just be absolutely brutal. I know that was a big reason why they made the Matt Kemp trade. Um, they, they, honestly, it ended up being a good deal for them. I mean, uh, San Diego swallowed some of the money, so they're not paying him as much over the next three years, but he's a bigger name. Um, they do have some young guys coming up. I think they're hoping to flirt with the 80-win the line um, with, with what they did the, you know, with the Dickey signing and Cologne. I think they're going to bring in Weeders. Uh, as well, so yeah, I don't know. It, it is a little curious. I, I, I think they're still way behind uh, the Nationals. Obviously, the Marlins looked a lot better last year. The Mets with getting Cespedes back and their starting pitching healthy will be really good. So it is a little bit puzzling. But the only thing that I've heard or read was that you know they just wanted to have some some fanfare moving into that new that new stadium, that new ballpark. Put me down for actually loving what Atlanta's done. Is they bought innings. They essentially had money. They had to spend it. Why not spend it, buy some innings, and those are two guys that you can trade at the deadline, proven veterans, cheap deals for, for teams that could basically kind of pull them into their roster. I mean, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense, and even if you don't do it in July, those are still waiver wire guys, too. So um, I, I actually really like what the Braves have done because what they've done, they've also very deliberately set up is they don't want their guys, these young guys, playing the full 160 of a season. So starting pitching, you can kind of limit them. You can manage innings that way. And you manage them in April and May so that, you know, they can get kind of better repped into the latter part of the season. Um, and, you know, they're not going anywhere next year. But I actually think it's, it's set up quite nicely for them as far as managing their team. And if they're able to trade at one or two of those guys at the deadlines for a piece here or there, you know, then all of a sudden you go into 2018 really, really kind of pointing upward. Yeah, I think, I don't know. You could be right. I see where you're going with that. But if Bartolo Colon finally runs out of time and he's 2-7 and seven with a 7.8 ERA, nobody's going to want him anyway. So that's kind yeah, of Yeah, but here's the thing. If he has one start on July 25th where he goes six innings of two-hit ball, with he's going to get a prospect. Like, that's just inherently how these these guys build and look at their teams and well it's just it that it's it's a funny game that way but 
it, it gives you an asset, and it, it's a little bit of the NBA model of, of kind of just build assets, acquire assets, and then see what happens through the season. The the other guy they made a move for, too, is they traded for uh, Jaime Garcia from the Cardinals, too. So their rotation is going to be significantly different than it was last year. And, and to your point, Garcia is another guy that can eat innings as long as he stays healthy. So It's just you know, a they, flyer. Just take a bunch of flyers. All right, that's about all for us for this off-season edition of the NeverEnding Glory Baseball Podcast. What we're going to do is probably take the next six weeks or so and just kind of monitor it like everybody else, see where the chips fall as we head into spring training, and we'll come back around mid-February with some season preview podcasts, hopefully about one a week from mid-February to the start of the season, maybe preview some of the division races and, and give some predictions for the season and uh, and go from there. And then once the season starts, we'll probably, again, hope to – get about a podcast every week or two and talk tribe, of course, but also Major League Baseball as a whole. So in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at NEG Pods uh, MLB. Uh, you can follow us for college football takes and information at NEG Pod CFB. And, of course, follow the original Never Ending Glory podcast, Luke and Jerry, at Glory Podcast. Make sure you're unwinding the rest of this New Year's holiday with some Buckeye Vodka. I know uh, the four of us plan on doing that here on our last, uh, at least for us teachers, our last day off before we go back to school on Tuesday. So going to enjoy the, the Sunday night game here and uh, and watch some some college football tomorrow. Guys, anything uh, for the good of the order before we sign off for the night? Mike Brantley, get healthy. That's right. Hey, and also if you're heading into any fantasy baseball and you want to tweet at us, certainly welcome. We'll try and get back to you in somewhat of a timely fashion. Uh, just with some advice, and I know Luke, Schill, and, and Matt are avid players themselves and uh, might be tapping back into it again this year. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, no, actually, Luke and Schill are, are very avid players. I'm not. I have, I've been playing fantasy football since I was, like, 12, but fantasy baseball, I really haven't. So, like you, Sean, I'm kind of looking to get back into it this year and, and get in a league. So I'm kind of relying on these other two jokers to uh, find me a league to get in. I mean, we could put some feelers out, see if anybody, you know, any listeners, we can get a little 10-teamer together with a bunch of us, maybe a couple of listeners, and kind of go from there. Yeah, it's a great let's, idea. Let's aim higher. Winner, winner gets a, a handle, Buckeye Vodka, and some swag. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, please take my money. Somebody please take my money. <laughs> Guys, Breaking news. Chip, Chip Kelly, he gone. Yeah, he gone. He gone. We'll be teeing up the college pod and the NFL pods with a lot of he gones. I'm just trying to close out my surf and turf. I got I got a four game lead with a few to go. Get my surf and turf dinner. <laughs> All right, boys, it's been real. Love talking baseball in the middle of winter. It makes me uh, realize that uh, before we know it, we'll be back at Progressive Field watching the tribe. So uh, enjoyed it. Appreciate the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again when pitchers and catchers report. 